Welcome to the listener's commentary on the New Testament. Your guide is pastor and theologian Dr. John Whitaker, and the heart behind these studies is to help you better understand the text of Scripture so you can more fully live it out. It's all about helping you learn and live the Bible. Here is the book of Hebrews. Hey there, my name is John Whitaker, and I want to say welcome to the listener's commentary on the book of Hebrews. And before we jump into the content of our study, let me just extend a huge thank you to those of you who make the listener's commentary possible through your faithful, generous support and through your prayers. Literally, this ministry exists because of your help and your partnership. So thanks a ton for that. And if you've been impacted by this ministry and you've been praying and thinking about wanting to partner with us and support this ministry, you can do so at listenerscommentary.com. And you can click the Give button, or you can sign up for the Bible Study Hub. That's another way that you can support this ministry as well. All right, let's jump into the backstory of the book of Hebrews. And what we have to say as we begin is that the backstory to Hebrews is complicated because there's just a whole lot we don't know for certain. Things like who wrote it, or when was it written? And exactly to whom was it written? Like some of the basic stuff of the backstory, when it comes to Hebrews, all of that is somewhat foggy. But here's what we do know. From reading the the book of Hebrews and listening to what's going on and what's said in the book, we know pretty clearly what the situation is that motivated the writing of Hebrews. And so let's tell the story of that situation And then we'll go back and look at some of the options for those specific details. So here's what motivated the writing of Hebrews. A group of followers of Jesus who were Jews, Jewish followers of Jesus, were struggling to remain faithful to Jesus and to his church. And they are now reverting back to Judaism. Some appear maybe to have already made that choice and they've abandoned Jesus to return to Judaism. Some are drifting in that direction, leaning in that direction, and the author of Hebrews is really trying to make a very clear and compelling appeal to say, don't do it. Don't do it. Remain faithful to Jesus. And what's leading them to uh, consider leaving Jesus and going back to Judaism? Well, maybe some persecution. You see that in chapter 12, that there's at least some sort of difficulty or hostility, although it doesn't seem super intense yet. There's been times in the past maybe where it was intense, and it's kind of eased up a little bit according to chapter 12, but there's still some hostility and some social pressure there. And maybe it's just that social pressure. Social pressure from really not being a full part of the Jewish community and also not part of the broader community of their city. And so... They're very much outsiders, and in a collectivist society like the ancient world they lived in was, that's a difficult spot to be in. You don't have the support of your community, and you're very much isolated and alone. The church itself is small, and so uh, that community pressure is a really big deal. So whatever precisely it is that's leading them to consider making this move from Jesus back to Judaism, the author of Hebrews writes to them. And he writes to them a message that is very much like a sermon. In fact, it's it's more like a sermon than like a letter. We'll see that as we go through the contents of the book. And it's, it's a sermon that bounces back and forth between explanation 
and then exhortation. He offers some explanation of a theme or an idea, and then based on that, he calls them to action, calls them to remain faithful to Jesus. And he does that over and over again by demonstrating Jesus' superiority over the old covenant of their Jewish past. In fact, he shows that Jesus is actually the culmination of that covenant. And so going back to Judaism is actually to go backwards, backwards in time, backwards in salvation history. It's to abandon the fulfillment of God's purposes and plans, specifically in the Messiah and the ultimate and final offering for sin. And because Jesus is the culmination of the old covenant and its sacrifices, if you leave him, there's no other offering for sin. He's it. He is the ultimate and final offering for sin. He is the way God has fully and finally dealt with sin. So to abandon him moves you from the sphere of grace and redemption into the sphere of wrath. That's one of the major points that the author of Hebrews is going to make as he lays all this out in the letter. And it's the seriousness of that that motivates the author to write this message. And that situation is perfectly clear from just reading the letter. So the exact details may not be clear, and that's likely because it's more of a sermon than a letter, but the motivating occasion, the situation, that is clear just from reading the letter. And so we know what led to Hebrews being written, and that's incredibly helpful. Now, let's talk about some of the details that aren't so clear, and at least look at some of the options there in the backstory. So first, who wrote Hebrews? And the reality is, this was a question clear back in the days of the church fathers. Some in the early church, in the generation right after the time period of the apostles, particularly those in the eastern Mediterranean region, they assumed, some of them at least, assumed that Paul wrote it, even though they admitted that the style didn't really match his. Many in the church in the western Mediterranean, over towards Rome and some of that, they contended that Paul didn't write it specifically because of the style and some of that. In fact, even those in the early church who thought that Paul wrote it usually did so with some qualifications. For example, in the Eastern Church, Clement of Alexandria, a church father, church leader from about 150 to 200, that time period, he supposes that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, but he did so in Hebrew itself, and then maybe Luke translated it into Greek. And so he thought Paul wrote it, but he knew it didn't totally match Paul's language and style. So his qualification was, well, that's because Paul wrote it in Hebrew and Luke translated it. Well, and that's, this is what we see in the early church, is there's just, there, just uncertainty about who wrote it. And if Paul wrote it, even because a lot of the ideas and themes kind of seem Pauline, at least in some ways, even if the language doesn't, maybe he wrote it you know, in Hebrew and someone else translated it. Or maybe someone uh, he, in his school of thought wrote it and Paul kind of oversaw it. I mean, there's, there were various ideas, even in the early church. Now, today, most scholars reject the idea of uh, Pauline authorship of the book of Hebrews and have suggested a variety of other authors, people like uh, Barnabas. You even see that in the early church, like Tertullian suggested Barnabas. Um, Calvin uh, suggested Luke. Um, maybe maybe uh, it was Apollos. And that first was suggested by like uh, 
Martin Luther. And so even from the Reformation period into modern times, there's just been a lot of question and there's been a variety of suggestions about who possibly could have written this. And the fact is, is we just don't know. In fact, uh, I think it's safe to agree with the early church father Origen, who he had some ideas and some speculations. But in the end, here's what Origen said. As to who wrote this book, only God knows for sure. And that's the safe place to end. We really don't know who wrote this. Um, we do know that the author uh, was well-versed in the Jewish scriptures. We do know that the author uh, knew Timothy because he mentions Timothy in the final greetings at the end of the book. And so it was written at least early enough to be connected with Timothy, and it's a, a colleague in some sense of Timothy. And so we know that, but who exactly fits? It's question mark. And so as Origen said, only God knows for sure who wrote the book of Hebrews. All right. Uh, what about when it was written? When was the book of Hebrews written? Well, once again, we just don't know for sure. But here are some things to keep in mind. First, a few key parameters as to when it was written. Since I just mentioned Timothy and that the author mentions Timothy in 1323, it has to be within the lifetime of Timothy. The original recipients knew him, and therefore it has to be within his lifetime. So that puts at least a parameter on a later possible date. Um, not only that, the book of Hebrews is alluded to or quoted by a church leader named Clement of Rome in about the year AD 95 or 96. And so right at the end of the first century, 95 or 96, right? Like right towards the end of even the, the New Testament being finished, if we take the the traditional date for the books of John, Revelation, and some of that, Clement of Rome, a church leader in the city of Rome, quotes or alludes to Hebrews. So we know it's got to be written before that. And so it's got to be earlier than 95. It's got to be during the lifetime uh, of Timothy. And yet at the same time, the author seems to suggest at various points throughout the letter that there's been a decent amount of time that has passed for the believers to have become mature, for them to have had uh, members of their fellowship experience some difficulty or hardship that now has um, gone away. And so there might even be some second generation believers in, in the fellowship that's being written to, right? And so we know it's not like super early in the New Testament time period, but we also know it can't be super late. So maybe middle of the New Testament time period are kind of what those parameters uh, tell us. Here's a really important consideration as to the date. Was the temple still standing, the temple in Jerusalem? Uh, if you know your New Testament chronology and you know a little bit about first century Jewish history, you know that the uh, city of Jerusalem was sieged by the Romans in the year 66 and then was leveled and the temple was destroyed in the year 70. And so that question, well, was the temple still standing, would actually say, if it was, then we got to be pre-70, right? And, and the reality is, is the book of Hebrews, while it talks a ton about Jewish rituals, never talks specifically about the temple. It only talks about the tabernacle, and that's because it's interacting with the Old Testament text, which deals with the tabernacle. Nevertheless, 
The present tenses that are used throughout the book of Hebrews suggest that the Jewish rituals were still being practiced. And if that's the case, that would suggest that the temple itself was still operational. So you see, for example, in uh, Hebrews 8 verse 4, seeing there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. That's present tense, as if they're still doing it. Or chapter 10, verse 11, every priest stands daily ministering, right? Again, present tense, as if that's still happening. Um, chapter 9 mentions having the golden altar. Or uh, chapter 13 mentions we have, present tense, an altar. Now, the reality is he's commenting on the Old Testament text as uh, and that's why he deals with the tabernacle. And so some have suggested, well, the reason the present tense shows up there is just he's just commenting on the way it was in the Old Testament text. And that's possible. But it seems to me that the author's whole point he's making in chapter 8 and then following is a bit odd and maybe doesn't really work if the temple is already gone. At the, at the end of Hebrews chapter 8, the author says that um, the old covenant with its rituals and its practices and everything that he's going to detail in chapters 9 and 10, that it's outdated and ready to come to an end. He says that in Hebrews 8.13. Well, if it's already ended, that just feels a little off, right? And so it seems to indicate to me that the temple is still operational, which would place the date then before AD 70. So, in my opinion, the most likely date for the book of Hebrews is sometime in the 60s, probably the mid-60s. This would allow for enough time for to pass for them to be believers for a while. It would allow uh, for the temple to still be operational. So I think the book of Hebrews is probably best dated sometime in the mid-60s. Now, the next important question then is, well, to whom was it written? And there are really two main options on this, the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem or those in Rome. And if we're being totally honest, we don't really know exactly which one. We know it was written to Jewish Christians. That just is obvious based on the topic and the discussion and the issue at hand. But were those Jewish Christians living in Jerusalem and around Jerusalem, or were they living in Rome and around Rome? It's not totally clear. The main reasons that some people think it was written to Rome are these. There's a greeting at the end of the letter of Hebrews in Hebrews 13.24 that says, those from Italy greet you. At least that's the way it's often translated. And it fits. Those that think it was written from Rome would say it fits with Romans or Italians away from Rome greeting their Roman kinsmen, right? Like um, someone's writing this letter somewhere else in the empire to Jewish Christians in Rome, and it makes sense to say hi from your fellow Romans. That's sort of the idea there. I don't see that as a super weighty argument because I agree with George Guthrie, one commentator, who just says like this could this phrase could mean those of Italy or those in. Italy, right? Like, and that means it could just as easily indicate that the author is writing from Rome and that those in Rome are greeting people elsewhere. So it's not, it's not compelling and it's not telling enough. It's not conclusive. Possible, 
that it alludes to greeting people in Rome or greeting people from Rome. Um, another reason people think it was written to the, the Jewish Christians in Rome is that it was at Rome, Clement of Rome, which we mentioned in AD 95, it was in Rome that the epistle seems to have kind of first taken on popularity. Um, our first references to it in later church history come from Rome. And, and so that would seem to suggest that, oh, well, maybe that's because they were the first recipients of it. And then the other main reason is, well, Timothy is mentioned, as we've noted, in 1323, and he was known to the Roman Christians. And so those are really the main reasons why some people think, okay, it was written to the Jewish Christians in Rome. That's possible. Those arguments aren't like completely conclusive. They're kind of circumstantial, but they point in that direction. What about Jerusalem? Well, the main reasons some think it was written to Jerusalem are these. Uh, the idea that it was written to Jerusalem is supported by the testimony of the early church fathers. Uh, people like Clement of Alexandria and Jerome, early church fathers, who that was their conviction that the book was first written in Hebrew and then translated, right? They presume it was written for an audience in Palestine by that presupposition. Um, John Chrysostom, one of uh, the early church fathers, he said it was sent to Palestine. And he, he's one of the ones that gives his just clear convictions on that very early in church history. He said it was written to Palestine. So being written to Palestine, the Christians in, in and around Jerusalem, the early church pop fathers seem to support that. Um, the idea that it was written to Jerusalem is most in harmony with the title of the book, To the Hebrews. That makes more sense written to the, the people in and around Jerusalem than elsewhere in the empire. And that title, To the Hebrews, was put on the book very early. In fact, we have zero manuscripts without it. It goes back as early as our earliest manuscripts and beyond. And so uh, that would fit better with Palestine than with Rome. And so that makes sense for Jerusalem. Another reason that Jerusalem makes sense is that the book assumes that all the readers are from a Jewish background. Like there's no allusions to any Jewish and Gentile difficulties. Uh, it seems to assume that everyone at its destination would be Jewish that would be odd if the Christians in Rome were the audience, since we know from Paul's letter to the Romans, it was a mixed church of Jews and Gentiles that were struggling with Jew-Gentile relationships and the place of the Jews in relationship to the Gentiles and the place of the Gentiles in relationship to the Jews. So it would just be odd to write a letter to the Christians in Rome uh, addressing Jewish Christians and not even deal with maybe some of the questions about the Gentiles in the place of the Gentiles, and just assume that everyone that's going to read it is going to be Jewish when the church in Rome was not all of Jewish background. So the, the fact that the audience is exclusively assumed to be Jewish seems to suggest uh, an audience more fitting with Jerusalem and Palestine than elsewhere in the empire. And then uh, a final reason why a lot of people think that it might be uh, written to Jerusalem and its surrounding area is Hebrews 13, 12 through 14, appeals to the audience, the original readers, to go out of the city gate of Jerusalem, just as Jesus died outside the city gates of Jerusalem. And that appeal more naturally fits with Jerusalem as the destination. You could say it's purely a metaphor, right? Like it's, it's just using 
this imagery of Jesus' death outside the city as a metaphor to leave behind um, Jewishness and Judaism, and that's possible, but it certainly seems to derive some of its power from the literal situation of the readers in Jerusalem, right? And so it seems to assume that the readers are familiar with the layout of Jerusalem, and that's why it just speaks of the gate, doesn't even specify it, right? So both Rome and Jerusalem are possibilities. Both Rome and Jerusalem have their difficulties as well. And so once again, we're kind of left with a bit of a mystery. I'd say the prevailing view among scholars today is that it was written to Rome, but obviously, you know, tentatively. For myself, I just think some of the arguments that I've laid out with regard to Jerusalem makes more sense of the situation and the way the book is written. And so I kind of lean in that direction. I lean more towards Jerusalem than toward Rome. But it's, it's a bit of a mystery again, and we don't know for certain. Now, what's the purpose of the book of Hebrews? Well, that brings us back to some sure footing based on the situation. The purpose of Hebrews is to call the original readers to not turn away from Christ and Christianity, but to remain faithful to Jesus to the end. The author refers to his work as a word of exhortation, 1322. Uh, that's like a sermon, as we've mentioned. And the message is full of exhortations, challenges to remain faithful. You find that at the beginning of chapter 2. You find it throughout chapter 3. You find it in chapter 4, right? So all throughout this message are exhortations to stay faithful to Jesus, and that's the purpose. The original audience was being tempted to return to Judaism. It was what they knew. It, it uh, was respected in their circles. It was free from some of the social hostility that they were themselves were experiencing. Not only that, Judaism was ancient, clear back to Abraham and Moses, right? It had those ancient roots. It came with a certain level of glory with angels helping give the law and all the glory of the Exodus, right? And then you look at Jesus and here's Jesus. He's He seems to lack glory. He's just a man is what it looks like. And he, not only that, he's a man who died a shameful death. And so for all these reasons, they're being tempted to abandon Jesus in return to what they knew and what was comfortable. And so the author of Hebrews writes to show, hey, you, you've misunderstood some things. Jesus is completely superior to all the glory of the old covenant. He's the culmination of that covenant. He's superior to angels. He's superior to Moses. He's superior to the Jewish high priesthood. He's superior to the offerings of bulls and goats. He's superior to the entire old covenant. So they need to remain faithful to him. And that's really what Hebrews is aiming at and what it's all about. And so when you look at the structure of Hebrews, and again, there's been a lot of wrestling and wrangling with the structure of Hebrews by scholars, and they get into all the technical stuff, but the basic structure is actually pretty clear. In fact, I'll put a little flow chart in the Bible Study Hub on the Listener's Commentary website that you can look at so you can kind of see how it works. But basically, the book moves from explanation to exhortation, right? Explanation to exhortation. So it gives an explanation of some theme and then a call to remain faithful, a call to action based on that. That's how the book works. And so in chapter one, you get the explanation of how through a string of Old Testament quotes, you get the explanation of how Jesus is superior to angels. 
Then in chapter 2, 1 through 4, you get a call to action. And the call to action is, if, if the Old Testament law, which was given through angels, had severe consequences for being unfaithful to it, how much more will are there consequences to being unfaithful to Jesus, who's superior to those angels, right? And so don't drift away from it, he says. And that's the way the book works. And then you get some more explanation of Jesus and his work. And then from that, you get a call to make sure you don't miss the rest that God has offered to his people, and so on and so forth. And so that's the way the book works. And so you got to kind of picture two tracks, a, a track that explains big themes and then a track that makes calls to action based on those big themes. And all the big themes show how Jesus is superior to every element and aspect of the old covenant and therefore remaining faithful to him is the key thing. And then once he gets through all that explanation with punctuated exhortation throughout, he ends the message of uh, really the sermon with, you know, a final couple chapters of exhortation to be people of faith and to stay faithful and to continue to obey and to remain true. And, and that's how the book ends. And so that's the basic structure of the book. And so as you, as you read through it and as we study it together, just keep that in mind, how we're, we're bouncing from explaining a theme, a little exhortation, explaining another theme, a little more, maybe gathered up exhortation and so on, all throughout the message of Hebrews. Now, one last thing before we wrap this up, and that is Hebrews is a little bit challenging, not just because we don't know some things about the backstory. It's a little bit challenging because it's so case-specific. It's addressing uh, Jewish matters to Jewish Christians about Jewish loves and themes that, for a lot of us, aren't our questions. Uh, now, if we're dealing with brothers and sisters in the faith who um, are Jewish in culture and living among Jewish people, uh, some of these questions are really a big deal. But for the vast majority of uh, us in the church today, these are old themes, old questions that aren't our questions. And that sometimes makes um, knowing how to respond to the book of Hebrews challenging. Uh, it means questions that are curiosities to us, but not like deeply emotion, uh, emotion-laden questions for us. But for the original readers, they were. And so we need to try to step into their shoes, hear it from their perspective, understand the theology that the author of Hebrews is laying out, and then begin to say, okay, what's the significance of that theology in our time and in our place and in our circumstances for the church at large? including for our current uh, Messianic Jewish brethren in the faith. And so as we read it, let's, let's uh, read it with that mindset and that mentality so we can try to hear the text and recognize, man, this was uh, for them in that time and for some of our brothers and sisters today still, these questions are big emotion-laden questions and try to hear it with a sympathetic ear, sympathetic heart, so we can understand what was really being wrestled with before we just appropriate it to ourselves with our questions in mind. All right, there you have it. That is the backstory to the book of Hebrews, and I'm excited to jump into the text with you in the next recording. <laughs>